In this week's episode, I discuss sexual assault. Sexual assault may be too sensitive of a topic for some people, but hey, I think we need to start somewhere, and I don't mind being the first to get the conversation going. It's easy to assume that sexual assault has no place in a cross-dressing and gender podcast, but I'll argue in this episode that it does, because I was a victim of sexual assault. It happened when I was younger and it sparked a downward spiral into my gender dysphoria. Just a bit of forewarning, I get real in this episode, like I do in most of this podcast, but I hope to bring light to this issue that I feel people willfully ignore. All of this plus a new yas of the week that talks Take Back the Night. This is episode 17 of the Cross Yas podcast. Shall we begin? Welcome to the Cross Yas podcast. The podcast that says yas to everything related to cross-dressing and gender. I'm your returning host, Giselle Mirasol. Hit me with your DMs on Instagram at Giselle Mirasol. And discover the podcast there as well, at Cross Yas Podcast. I'm a social media fiend, so tweet me at Twitter and hit the podcast up on Facebook at Cross Yas. That's spelled C-R-O-S-S-Y-A-A-S. Also, you got questions or if you want to contact the podcast to share your feedback or even your own personal story on the podcast, well, we got email. Send your lovely words to crossyaspodcast at gmail.com. That's C-R-O-S-S-Y-A-A-S podcast at gmail.com. Hope you had a wonderful Easter this past Sunday, and for you marijuana fans, a lovely 420. Here at the Cross Yas podcast, we accept everyone's lifestyles, even all you weed fanatics out there. Because... A friend with weed is a friend indeed. I was supposed to be in Thailand for a vacation this week, but unfortunately I experienced some family troubles here in the U.S. that need to be taken care of. So instead, I'm still here in California. But everything is okay and I'm back at you with another episode of this podcast. Lots to talk about this week, but let's begin with the... Yes! Of the week! Going with the theme of sexual assault in this week's episode, I want to discuss Take Back the Night. For those unaware, April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month. According to the National Sexual Violence Resource Center, aka NSRVC, a nonprofit organization that's mission is to provide leadership in preventing and responding to sexual violence through collaborating, sharing, and creating resources, and promoting research. They claim that 63% of sexual assaults are not reported to the police. And with good reason. Many of these people fear reporting because, based on the RAIN statistics, R-A-I-N-N, which stands for Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network, and is the United States' largest anti-sexual violence organization, they found that the majority of people don't report these sexual assaults against their perpetrators because they feared retaliation. They thought that people wouldn't do anything or simply believe that the sexual assault was a personal matter. With all that fear, there is one event that offers some solace to victims. That is Take Back the Night. For those unfamiliar with Take Back the Night, it is an international event and nonprofit organization with the mission of ending sexual, relationship, and domestic violence in all forms. Here in my local college, the Take Back the Night event is scheduled for April 25th, but the date it actually is observed seems to vary around the world according to the Take Back the Night website but typically is observed sometime in April. Take Back the Night is usually held at college campuses around the world, and for some, they aren't held just at night. Some campuses hold events throughout the day, but typically involve a rally, followed by a march, and often a speak-out or candle night vigil on violence against women. According to the Take Back the Night organization, early marches were mostly women-only to symbolize women's individual walk through darkness and to demonstrate that women united can resist fear and violence. Today, however, most Take Back the Night events include men, although there are some places where they still abide by the women-only policies, 
and that has caused many people to argue that male allies and sexual assault survivors, like myself, should be allowed to march in support of women and male victims of sexual violence, even those that are transgender. Look, there are many victims of sexual assault, men, women, transgender men, and transgender women, and those who don't identify as any of these. Sexual assault doesn't discriminate with their victims. If you're a living person, you can be a target. So it's great to have these kind of events like Take Back the Night, where we recognize the survivors and victims of sexual assault and sexual violence. I remember attending my first event when I was in college more than a decade ago, and there were these posters all around the quad area. There were people putting up more and more of these posters, so I asked one of them, what were these posters for? A lady told me they were for the Take Back the Night event they were holding, and the posters were made by those who have been victims of sexual assault and sexual violence. So I read some of them, and they were very powerful in the message they were trying to convey. One woman wrote about an ex-boyfriend who raped her. Another was of a woman whose neighbor molested her at a young age. They were all of people who were able to say what happened to them and speak out about what had happened during their sexual assault or as being a victim of sexual assault. It was a great way for these people to no longer remain silent about their past experiences with sexual assault, which is what I'm going to do with this episode as I talk about my experience being a sexual assault victim. So this week, I say yes to take back the night because victims of sexual assault and sexual violence must have their voices heard so we can hopefully end sexual relationship and domestic violence in all forms. And that was the yes of the week. In this episode, I will talk about being a victim of sexual assault. I'll define it for you and give you some statistics, but mostly I'll talk about my experience with sexual assault. It happened as a teenager and it had a major impact on my life moving forward. I want to talk about all of it with every detail because I remember how it felt. The guilt, the disgust, the terrible enjoyment. It's all here. So get ready, because I'm going to tell you more about my life and how I am a survivor, telling you about my accounts with sexual assault. But first, a quick word from our sponsor. Hey guys, just want to talk about Anchor real quick. You know, I love Anchor so much. They've helped me so much with this podcast. It's free and they have creation tools that allow you to record and edit your own podcast right from your own phone or computer. And Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Really guys, it's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So go ahead and go to it. It's great. let's first define what is sexual assault. Good old trusty Wikipedia defines sexual assault as a person who intentionally sexually touches another person without that person's consent or coerces or physically forces a person to engage in a sexual act against their will. The Department of Health and Human Services further elaborates sexual assault as a form of sexual violence, which includes rape, forced vaginal, anal, or oral penetration, or drug-facilitated sexual assault, groping, child sexual abuse, or the torture of the person in a sexual manner. Approximately 15-25% to of women and 5-15% to of men were sexually abused when they were children. Most sexual abuse offenders are acquainted with their victims. And this is where it all begins. You see, I was sexually abused as a child. I was 14 when it happened and the perpetrator was a close family friend. I wasn't lured into a van. I wasn't held hostage like you'd see in a movie. No. I was shown affection from an adult male that I had never been shown before ever by another human being. But see, this was the weird part. I thought this was normal. Why? Well, let me provide some background history and context. 
My first sexual assault event that I experienced occurred in 2003. I had just finished my first semester of my freshman year of high school, but I was struggling. Struggling with plenty of things. Struggling with life. Before I started high school in 2002, I uncovered evidence that my mom and dad had divorced. My mom, an amazing woman by the way, has always wanted to provide for me and my sister. And she did it in the best way she knew how, and that was to work at her job. She was always busy working, providing financially for me and my sister. Good moms be doing that, you know? Good moms always look to provide for their children, and by providing security in their minds, well, this is how they will shield their kids from harm. My dad, well, he was sort of in the picture, but he really wasn't. My dad really only married my mom in 1986 as a means to stay in America and get a green card. You know, some relationships do that. Like Gabrielle Hermosa said in episode 14 of this podcast in part one of my talks with Gabrielle Hermosa, she talked about how some relationships are transactional, where one person uses the other person to get something out of it. Which is true of all relationships, right? But really, my dad just wanted to stay in America for his own personal interest. Once he got that, well, he bailed. Well, I can't say that he didn't bail fully. I mean, he was around and helped when he wanted to. Like, he provided what he could to my mom, and he would be around to bring me to school plenty of times, even lunch at school. But other than that, he was living his own life. He also worked a lot. When both my parents were working, well, my paternal grandparents would take care of me and my sister. And even my mom's sisters and brothers would help take care of us. And they were great. What my parents neglected to tell me was that both my parents had been separated in 1999. They actually didn't even tell me about it. But instead, I discovered this truth as I was rummaging for something in one of the closets and found a piece of paper that had both my parents' names and it said in big bold letters, divorce. Now mind you, this is 2002. So it had been three years since they had actually been divorced. I know what you're thinking. Giselle, you should have known. You should have seen the signs. Well, at 14, I was pretty naive. Aren't we all though at that age? Like what does a 14 year old boy know about anything except school and video games? Well, that's all I knew. All I had to worry about was school and video games. I just took things for what they were and that was it, like surface value stuff. Plus my parents never talked in front of me and my sister and they were never around. So I always just assumed that families just work things out. I never questioned things, because to me, things usually weren't a problem. Also, you could say I was always taken care of. I was raised in a Catholic household by my maternal grandparents, my mom's sister, and my mom's brother, and other family members. And we weren't struggling financially, because there was always food at the table. And this was good food. It's grandparents cooking for you every day kind of food. Like the most wholesome, love-filled food you can imagine. Full of grease, sugar, salt. Beef, pork, chicken. My grandparents were amazing cooks. They even ran a little canteen back home in the Philippines and made amazing dishes that everyone back in their hometown knew about their delicious food. It also led me to being a little chubby kid as I loved rice. Damn, I missed that food. But that food is what made everyone in town and neighboring towns love my grandparents. That and well, they were so damn hospitable. When anyone migrated from the Philippines to the United States, my grandparents would offer their tiny two-bedroom apartment as a sort of transition sanctuary before they moved on to somewhere else. So we welcomed this one family to live with us for a short time when they migrated here from the Philippines, who my grandfather knew when he was in the Navy. It was him and his wife and their six children. There were four brothers, two sisters, and their parents. They were all very sweet and caring, and the children were in their 20s when they moved in with us in the early 1990s. It felt like a huge family, and we all managed to fit in this tiny two-bedroom apartment. They all eventually moved out soon after, but they kept their bonds with our family and would even attend some of our family gatherings. Many more families would come and go from our place, but when my grandfather died in 1998, that seemed to stop. My grandma eventually broke her hip having to climb the stairs to get to the apartment, 
So my grandma, aunt, and uncle all moved to a nearby one-story home with three bedrooms in 1998. At the time, my sister and I technically lived with my parents at our own house, but because our parents were constantly working, we spent the majority of our time living in that one-story home with my maternal grandma and aunt. My uncle also moved out because he got married and had his own kids, so it was just my maternal grandma and my maternal aunt. Well, fast forward a couple years, and in 2002, I got into a fairly prestigious high school. I say fairly prestigious because at the time, it was ranked like in the top 10 high schools of all of California. I don't know how I got in, but to be admitted into the school meant you had a great academic background and passed an interview process. To this day, I argue I only got in because during the interview process, I showed enthusiasm and a desire to go to that school. And by the grace of God, I got in. But I struggled that first semester. Like, I struggled real bad. I think my GPA was 2.1 that first semester. I still remember I got a D in Spanish, a C- minus in math, a C plus in engineering, maybe a B in English and a C in science, which averages about to be like a 75, 76%, so 2.1. It was so bad that both my parents had a meeting with all of the teachers and the principal to discuss what I could do to improve my performance in school. I was in on that meeting, and for the first time in a long time, I'd finally seen my parents together in one room. It'd probably been a really long time where they had f both had to focus on one issue, and that issue, unfortunately, was my failing grades. But the talent at that school was amazing. My classmates and peers were incredibly smart and hardworking that I felt they couldn't keep up. I mean, they were getting straight A's and flying through the material at school where I felt dumb and out of place. I almost experienced imposter syndrome where, you know, you think you don't deserve the success that you do. Not that I had any success at that point, but when you're a big fish in a small pond and you realize the pond is saturated with not just smart fish, but fish who can climb trees, go to space, and calculate the circumference of a black hole, well, you feel like a fish out of water. So there I was struggling with the parent aspect and the school aspect. On top of that, I started to realize I had an affinity for girls. Mind you, I knew I was a crossdresser at 9 or 10. Remember way back in episode 2, Crossdress and Confess, when I talked about I would borrow my aunt's pantyhose at her house and I wear it and she wasn't around and I really enjoyed it? Well, I knew I was a crossdresser early, but I didn't really start to think that the girls around me were cute until I hit high school. And during high school in 2003, that was around the time the internet was really taking off and there were multiple social media sites that were also in position to take over like MySpace, Friendster, and Findapix. So of course, I met this girl who I saw on Findapix. Shout out to Findapix, by the way, guys, which will forever be a thing that I'll remember. But anywho, I met a girl who said I was cute, so we got to talking. Well, she was cool, and we so-called dated or whatever, and she actually even lived near me. We only met like once at our local church, and she was cool, but nothing really developed. I was 14 at the time, and she was 12, so it was sort of like a high school, middle school love, if you will. Sadly, I actually fell way more in love with her best friend, Janine. Janine and I are actually good friends today, and although our relationship didn't work out, I'm glad we have maintained our friendship today. Sup, Janine? Sorry I mentioned you in this podcast. Her and I, well, we had a young love, but sadly, young love doesn't last. But she was way cooler than the other girl was. Let's call her Edlene. But Janine was and is still real chill of a person, and the Usher song, You Make Me Wanna, would be the theme song for the relationship we had. You know that song, right? With Usher, the... Alright, stay with me, Cross Yass listener. This all relates, I promise. So, as all this was going through, honestly, I had no thoughts or any sexual desire or whatnot. I was just grateful that girls liked me, because I was real intimidated by the girls at my high school. 
They were smart and hella intelligent. Janine and I would communicate mostly through AIM and Yahoo Messenger, and we could talk about lots of things, but really, nothing sexual. She was also 12 and I was 14, so the stuff we would talk about was probably dumb stuff that was, I don't know, TV-related or music-related. You know, childish, innocent stuff. I think we talked about kissing one another, but that was it. I think Evelyn found out about us, and she was pretty upset. Her theme song for us was Nivea's Don't Mess With My Man. Do you guys remember that song? It went... Anyways, Janine and I had always talked about meeting up, so I think we had planned for like a meetup in February on a weekend at her house where we would pretend to work on a project. But of course, this is around the time when the sexual assault occurred. You see, one of the children of my grandpa's friends from the Navy, who stayed with us back in the early 1990s, happened to drop by my maternal grandma's house. His name, well, we'll call him Uncle John, because that's how I know him. Uncle John recently got married to his wife at a beautiful ceremony a year and a half prior, which I and the rest of my family attended. Uncle John is a dentist. He's probably in his mid-30s at the time. He's 5'8", probably weighed 160 pounds. After he was married, he moved to San Francisco for work. His wife had just given birth six months prior to a beautiful baby girl, and he showed his pictures the day he visited on that fateful day of February 5th, 2003. He was acting perfectly normal on that day. He chatted up my grandma, my aunt, me, and my sister as he updated us about his life. After recently traveling far from Northern California to Southern California, he said he was tired and didn't want to pay for a hotel, so he asked my grandma if he could spend the night. My grandma and aunt were just so happy to see him and easily oblige. So he got his stuff from his car and unpacked. Normally, I slept in the third bedroom of my grandma's house alone. My sister and aunt slept in the first bedroom, my grandma in the second bedroom, and I in the bedroom furthest down the hall. So Uncle John asked if he could sleep in the bedroom with me. Remember, I was a young, 14-year-old, innocent, naive Catholic Filipino boy, unaware to the terrors of the world around me and not knowing any better, so I also happily agreed with, sure, sounds good to me. So he slept in my room for the night. Now, I'll get into the details, but I do warn you, like I did earlier, this might get too serious of a subject for you. If you choose not to hear what happened, you probably want to skip this part. But for those of you willing to listen, hey, Thank you for hearing me out and letting me talk about my experience with sexual assault. Because I will get specific and hey, sometimes specifics are needed to help paint the picture of what happened. So, with regards to my first sexual assault ordeal, and yeah, it happened more than once. It didn't happen immediately in that moment he slept next to me. It first happened in the middle of the night, possibly the next morning, and I'll never forget it. As I was sleeping, he woke me up and whispered in my ear and said, don't be afraid but this is going to feel really good. I thought I was dreaming. I even recall saying, what? But all of a sudden, there was a cold, adult-sized fist wrapped around my penis, and then Uncle John placed his mouth on my penis, and he began what I later learned was oral sex. Prior to this, I had never seen any pornographic images or knew what it meant to be sexual. But this was the moment that I knew my innocence was gone, because I ejaculated and it felt horrifically satisfying. I don't recall having a wet dream prior to that, but by ejaculating, I felt a sense of gratification that I had never enjoyed before. I asked him, what the hell are you doing? And he told me, doesn't that feel good? And I slowly respond with an audible sigh, I guess so. So he kept doing it. And then he said, now you do it to me. And so he pulled his pants down and placed his penis and scrotum right in front of my mouth and whispered with his eyes closed and his lips puckered, go. 
I was scared. I was frightened, tired, and had feelings of guilt as in, what did I do to deserve all this? So he guided my mouth and I performed oral sex on him. I had no idea what I was doing, but within a minute or two, I stopped because I was tired and then he soon fell asleep. And then I fell asleep. When I awoke the next morning, I was stunned to think what the hell happened. I was trying to process all of it. So I looked around the room and realized it was just me alone in the room and the door was closed. But then someone quietly entered the room and it was Uncle John and he looked at me and said, good morning. I asked him, what the hell? What happened last night? And he said, well, don't worry about it. We will keep this our secret and that I should get ready because I have to go to school. And then he kissed me. So I was still in shock, walked into the bathroom and I got ready, showered and then changed. When I put on my pants, I felt in one of my pockets and found there was a folded $20 bill in it. I asked Uncle John, did you put this in here? He said, let's just talk about this later after he picks me up from school. So I asked him, are you going to drop me off at school? He says, yes, and I'll pick you up. So he drives me in his BMW 540i series and I remember sitting in the front seat and he had his hand on my left leg instead of the gear shift most of the drive to school. He dropped me off at school, wished me a good day, and I remember one of my classmates seeing me get dropped off in his car, and he told me, nice car, man. So Uncle John drops me off in school, and it put my head in all of a funk the rest of the day. I questioned everything. My sexuality, my gender, what could I have done to protect myself? Like, am I gay? Like, why do I enjoy this? This is so weird. The problem was, I never thought at the time was about whether or not what he did was illegal or wrong. I mean, I know now what he did was immoral and wrong, but back then I thought it was fine because he was an authority figure and I don't go against authority because I was taught that you should listen and follow models of authority. I thought what he did was because that's how he showed that he loved me and cared for me. So I don't know. I didn't know what to do. And per Janine, I didn't know what to tell her that, hey, this guy and I are giving each other oral sex. Did you still want to be with me? I mean, she was 12 and I was 14 and I'm certain she had no experiences with this matter. I was also thinking, fuck. Do I tell my parents, who are so busy with their own lives, like, would they even care? Do I tell my maternal grandmother and aunt, who have loved Uncle John and his family since they migrated here from the Philippines and they treated them as family? My sister, who is one year older than me, also at the time was sort of dating one of the grandchildren of Uncle John's family. He was 16 and my sister was 15 and my aunt wanted our families to sort of join in together. My sister thought he was cute and I think they sort of liked each other, so I didn't want to ruin that family dynamic. So here I was, a 14-year-old boy, struggling, trying to gain footing with school. My parents are divorced and no longer together, and now, now, I have to deal with being molested by Uncle John? Like, fuck. So, Uncle John picked me up from school later that day, and he took me back home. He decided to spend another night, again sleeping beside me in that third bedroom, at the end of the hall. I had to. I mean, I could have slept beside my grandmother in her room, but... I didn't know what Uncle John was capable of. He could have done other unimaginable things to me if I didn't spend another night with him in that bedroom together. So there I was, alone, but together with Uncle John. It was awkward sleeping in a bed again with him. We had performed oral sex on one another less than 24 hours prior, and now here I am, 14-year-old boy knowing what just happened to me, having to sleep with an adult figure yet again, having the ability to leave, but I didn't. Because where was I going to go? Where would I turn to? So Uncle John and I lied in bed, but he talked to me. He went over what happened earlier in the morning with the way he basically molested me and he somewhat apologized. He said, I'm sorry about surprising you earlier. 
And me, being my naive self, I told him and questioned his motive, saying, It's okay, but why would you do that to me? And he gave me what he thought was a reasonable answer of, When I was younger, someone did that to me and I wanted to show you how it felt. First of all, it's illogical and irresponsible to think that just because someone does something as terrible as molest you when you're younger, to think you should go and do the same thing to someone else? It's like, what the fuck? Don't. I would never do what Uncle John did to me, to another human being. And for him to place the blame of his actions on something that happened during his childhood made me angry at him for a really long time. But to my 14-year-old self, I just went along with his dumb excuse. I knew he was wrong, but I knew nothing else except to accept authority for what it was. So he molested me again that night. But he added more to it. He showed me how he wanted to be made love to and how I should add foreplay before I end with oral sex. How I should kiss his nipples, how I should caress his body, and how to hold his legs a certain way. He was very helpful in all the questions I had about sex. Like I asked him what was that that came out of my dick when he put his mouth around my penis. He said that was cum. And I said, oh, yeah, that's what comes out when you know you're enjoying having sex. And I asked him, is that what sex is? He told me that it can be. So I ejaculated again. And then we went to bed. He dropped me off again at school the next day. And he then picked me up later that day. I remember him asking if I wanted to watch a movie. I said, sure, let's do that. But only if my sister could go too. He said, that's fine. So we went to watch Shanghai Nights with Jackie Chan and Owen Wilson. It was opening night of that movie and I remember the place filled with people. All the seats were filled except three corner seats all the way at the top of the theater. So we sat there. Uncle John had bought my sister and I two big tubs of popcorn. My sister sat to the right of me with her big tub of popcorn and Uncle John to my left and I was stuck in the middle with the other tub of popcorn. I remember him answering a phone call prior to the movie starting and it was from a male student he taught in one of the dental schools in the San Francisco area. It was another guy because I could hear his voice. In my head I was thinking, is Uncle John molesting that person as well? But they both soon hung up and the movie started, and all I remember was being fondled underneath my popcorn bucket. He grabbed my penis with his right hand and continued to grope me during the entire movie. I was being molested yet again, this time in public and in the dark. My sister was to the right of me and I wanted to tell her what was happening, but I was torn between keeping our family okay and not being okay with what was happening. I wanted to yell in that theater that this was happening, but who am I? Why would people care? I said to myself. I saw my sister enjoying the movie and laughing to the right of me, and I didn't want to ruin her fun. So I just went along with what was happening. After the movie ended, we went back home, and again, Uncle John stayed with me in the same room at my grandmother's house, and we continued to do what he did. I returned back to my own home the next day with my mom as she had the day off and firing up the computer and going online to talk with Janine. She told me that she can't wait to hang out in person for our so-called project we were going to work on for school, and I totally was looking forward to it too. So we planned to meet the next day at her house, and I said that sounds like a lot of fun. Of course, Uncle John offered to take me to her place. I remember it being a rainy Sunday afternoon, and Uncle John dropped me off at Janine's place and told me that he'd pick me up in a couple hours. Janine and I were so happy to see each other and meet for the first time. It was also the first time I had ever kissed a girl. She and I kissed and we lived happily ever after. I'm just kidding! <laughs> Actually, the entire time I was with her, I couldn't help but think, man, what am I going to go home to? So we end our time together and Uncle John picks me up. I told him about this girl that I like, and he encouraged that. But like my father, he was all about a transactional relationship. And Uncle John wants to know 
what the hell he can get out of this. So we would go back to the house alone, and he forces me to provide oral sex again for him. Uncle John tried to be a mentor of sorts for me. He told me that I should be a dentist when I grew up. I told him I wanted to be a nurse, and he said, why would you do that? You should be a dentist, he said, because they make more money, and I'd be a better dentist than a nurse. But Uncle John didn't give two shits about me. He was always looking out for himself. But Uncle John also was the only one to show me any sort of bond from family or an adult. And it really fucked me up for a long time. He soon went back home the next week, but it left me in shambles. It made me treat Janine with more disdain, and she broke up with me weeks later after I became more cold and isolated myself from her. My relationship with my family also became more estranged as I believed at the time they would protect me from such a tragedy. I did learn more about myself, and I masturbated more around this time. I even explored my cross-dressing a bit more. My sister and the family friend also got closer together, so that made me even more upset. Less than three months later, Uncle John returned and met me at my parents' house. Alone, of course. He even provided more than oral sex with me. That's when I learned I should tell him I'm a cross-dresser. So, I told him I was a cross-dresser, and then I realized I like being anally penetrated. He was flummoxed. He asked if I would like to be penetrated by him. I said, I could try it. He had somewhat of a bigger penis, like six to seven inches, with a decent girth to his penis as well. So when he tried to penetrate me, I almost cried. He left and then came back two months later, and he also met me at my parents' house. Again, we were alone. But this time, he brought a video camera. He told me that he wanted to film us having sex. I was 15 now, and I thought I was an adult with a, I don't know, adult mindset. But I wasn't. But I still said, sure. So, he filmed us having sex. I remember another time, he spent the night. And when we woke up, he told me to blow him in the upstairs bathroom. And as I was doing so, someone entered the house. It was my dad. And my dad yelled, Giselle, are you here? And I couldn't respond because I had Uncle John's dick in my mouth. So Uncle John quickly ejaculated in my mouth and I had to swallow it. So I washed up quickly and then told my dad, yeah, I'm here. And my dad said, hurry up, you're late for school. So down came Uncle John down the stairs first, and he left before I did, and my dad took me. The final time Uncle John ever sexually assaulted me was when my sister and the family friend were both in my house, and they were officially dating. Both Uncle John's family and my family were both there. Uncle John drove down from San Francisco to say hi to me, and that he wanted to hang out. Uncle John saw me, and he told me, hey, let's go for a ride. And that his daughter, who was in the back seat, who was no older than one at this time, probably had to leave soon after. So Uncle John and I drove for a bit, and he parked his car maybe five miles away. He parked behind a fucking school of all places, and he begins to fondle me again in the front seat of his car. He's in the driver's seat, I'm in the passenger seat, and his daughter is in the back seat. Look, with me and him, it's our problem. But now, his daughter, who is not even one year old at this point, is watching this criminal act that is going on right now. He then pulls his pants down and grabs my hand and puts it on his penis, and he tells me to suck his dick. Now at this point, I could have stopped. You know what, I should have stopped. Yeah, I could have stopped all the other times, gone to the authorities and reported him for what he did, molesting me, sexually abusing me, and placed an early end to it. But right at that moment, with me in the car, with his daughter in the backseat watching me do all of this, to her father, to her father molesting this now 15-year-old boy, I should have fucking ended it. But I didn't. And for that, with all that had happened to me at this point, by not stopping it right then and there, that's my biggest regret. I fucked up a lot. By allowing this to happen, by not telling other people, by not voicing what the fuck Uncle John did to me until it was too late, I mean, I thought, man, 
I am sick. For years, I didn't know who I was. I didn't know if I was gay, straight, bisexual. I didn't know if my cross-dressing was normal or if I was ever going to be okay again. But turns out, I was okay again. I did end up talking to someone, and that first person, unfortunately, was Jennifer. You remember Jennifer, the girlfriend from hell, from episode 2 and 3 of this podcast, who, for many reasons, was the worst girlfriend ever, as when I first told her about being molested, her response to me was, well, that's why you like men, and that's why you're fucked up in the head. I think I was 16 when I told her, which is kind of a reasonable response from another 16-year-old to tell you, but she told me to tell my mom, and so I did. And my mom didn't believe me at first. But when she saw the tears come out of my eye when I told her about being molested, she was heartbroken. And she knew. She ripped all the pictures in our photo albums of Uncle John and his family. And now we no longer talk to that family. And luckily my sister never ended up with that guy. I told her and she still holds a grudge against that family. She also found out that guy she liked turned out to be a bit of an asshole and she was way too good for him. As for Uncle John, he never came around the house anymore. He might have come by once, and I think I asked him about that sex tape we made. He said he deleted it or threw it away. His lying ass probably still has it, and if he does, well, it'd make a great case for the authorities to pursue him if I were ever to pursue legal action against him. And as for me, your host, Giselle Mirasol, well, I'm here today, stronger and better than ever. I did end up graduating from that prestigious high school. I got my bachelor's and master's degree. I came to terms with my parents divorcing, and Janine and I are still good friends today. I have a great girlfriend, Kirsten, who has been super supportive of me and my endeavors, and with her hearing this episode, I think it's the first time she has heard all the insane details. I think it's the first time I've ever talked about any insane details. I never did go to therapy, and I discovered who I am with a lot of self-discovery. I eventually did become a nurse, much to the chagrin of Uncle John, and I made a podcast that was able to talk about all the details from my story of being a survivor of sexual assault. I thank you for listening and letting me voice all my thoughts. Because again, I've never been able to just lay it out all there in pretty graphic detail about what happened between Uncle John and me. I never really liked to talk about the details, and that time in my life was tough for me. It created this weird relationship. On one hand, I didn't want to keep this sexual relationship with him going, but on the other hand, he was able to connect with me, and I threw him. We had a bond, but that was it. I was molested as a child, and that act was illegal. I was barely a teenager learning about what it means to be human, and I definitely don't condone Uncle John's behavior by any means. And if I could do it all again, I would have went straight to the police the first time it happened. But without those harrowing experiences, I don't know if I'd be where I am today. I take that back. I know I wouldn't be where I am today. And sure, maybe you're thinking, it's quite impressive to tell my story. Or you're probably thinking, I'm brave to do this. But I don't think that. Bravery should be reserved for those who put their lives on the line. I'm merely telling you my story, and if you consider me brave, fine. But I don't think I deserve that title. I mean, my life wasn't ever put on the line. I'm just telling you my story, because I hope to make sure you guys know that you too can overcome adversity. I went into detail because it helps me cope with the pain and trauma that I experienced. And for those who don't believe me, well, I'm sorry, but it did. And I know this is supposed to be a yas kind of podcast, and we should focus on the positive aspects of life, but you can't ignore your past. I sure can't. You can't simply just turn a blind eye towards the wrongs that have happened in your life. I always like to mention that I'm not perfect and have struggled coping with my past, but who hasn't? These things should be talked about. And I hope by sharing my story, those that feel shunned or neglected and can relate to my story can talk about theirs. Sorry if it took me a while to talk about this, but it's not even all the details, but this is what happened to me. 
with all its terrible and horrid facts. I don't hold any grudges and I don't look at it as good or bad. I just try to take on the stoicism mindset for what happened, happened. Take it for what it is, right? I don't talk to this person anymore and they don't come around to family gatherings any longer. And I'm still here. I'm still alive. And I hope that if there's another Giselle out there being molested or sexually assaulted, speak up. This is not normal. You are a human being with rights. You have the right to speak up when someone is hurting you. Please, speak up. By speaking up, you're helping prevent sexual assault happen to other people. Remember, sexual assault and sexual violence is not normal. And that was episode 17, guys. I hope you guys learned a little bit more about me. I talked a lot about myself and my experience with sexual assault. Uh, Tune in next week, guys, because I will have a special guest, Miss Francesca, who is a trans sex worker from Central America. Lots of good information about her. You'll learn a lot more about how it is to work as a trans sex worker um, and what her specialty is. Hope you guys learned a lot this week. And if I strike the nerve with any of you guys, if you guys have something you guys want to share, please reach out to me. I would love to hear your guys' story. Uh, It's not just about me in this podcast, guys. I would love to learn about you too. Um, Again, thank you guys for paying attention. Still follow us on social media, uh, at CrossYass and at Podcast on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. Um, Yeah, thanks again, guys. Still appreciate all your listens, all your plays, all your subscribes. Um, You guys have been awesome. Thank you, thank you, thank you for letting me share, for listening to me. Um, I hope you guys have a great week. Um, And as always, remember, keep it fresh, stay blessed, and remember, you're gorgeous. Again, guys, I am not here to diagnose or treat anything, but I'm here to offer my story. I hope that in turn you learn more about me, learn more about yourself, and about the world of cross-dressing.